This episode is brought to you by Happy High Achiever. If you recently hit difficult workplace hurdles despite a resume that seems awesome from the outside, I know. I have too. It's hard to be happy in life when we're unhappy in our careers, and those of us who constantly compete with ourselves to be better, whose pride and very identities are inextricably tied to success, we feel it pretty acutely when work stops going well. If this scenario resonates with you like it did with me, Happy High Achiever is here to help. Courtney Bryan, Happy High Achiever's founder, started the company to provide support and resources for high-achieving folks who hit significant personal and professional obstacles, often for the first time. Interested? Check out happyhighachiever.com backslash upzones to learn more, join the newsletter, and access a special Friends of the Pod rate on coaching packages. Our sponsor is Happy High Achiever, and this is Upzones. You have to elect yourself, Jamie. Things are changing. Things are changing. You can't say it, but you know it's true. You elect yourself. Things are changing. You elect yourself. You elect yourself. Last week, across most of the country and wide swaths of like the Midwest and Upper Northeast, uh, temperatures hit. 10 degrees, zero degrees, negative 10 degrees, negative 30, and on and on, negative 50 in some parts of the country. Climate change is in full effect where extremes of not just heat and dry in the summer, but cold and wet in the winter continue to disrupt historical patterns and ecosystems and make life shitty for people uh, around the country and around the world. But there's an interesting article in the New York Times that I, I came across reading this morning about... Candace Payne, 34-year-old real estate broker who came across a tent city in her home city of Chicago. And uh, this was, I guess it was 50 below. That was from the article uh, at some point last week. And she just uh, had enough. Something spoke to her and she decided she was going to, what she called a spur of the moment decision to help. She said she knew she had to do something because these homeless folks would be sleeping on the ice. She contacted hotels and and found uh, one that had 30 rooms available. She got a good rate. She put it on her credit card. She's not a rich person, you know, and that's for action. A whole bunch of folks in Chicago decided uh, once they heard about that to do more of the same. And I think uh, the, the article that I said mentioned that over 100 people got homes, including uh, pregnant women, families that... 30 rooms originally doubled to 60 with double occupancy in many cases. They did something. And that's just heartwarming. I mean, that's just why we're put here together to have that kind of community, you know. But um, I can't help but think about how ridiculous it is that she had to do that. That someone, a citizen who had to put a $4,700 charge on their Amex just to keep another human soul from death. And I think about someone like that. She she called herself, I'm a regular person. Uh, it all sounded like a rich person did this, but I'm just a little black girl from the South Side. Think about how much wealth is in that city. You know, the Pritzker family and, and on down. And it took someone walking by and whipping out the credit card because there was no systematic fix in place. And I think about the city of Seattle. And I think about how much wealth sits in the city. And I think about the amount of energy and effort and subterfuge, in my opinion, and, and misdirection that was put into revoking the head tax 
last year that uh, while imperfect, and I do agree that that unnecessary taxation can be bad for the economy, but but you know the amount of money that was spent just to organize signature drivers would have how many people would that have housed for the winter as we move through the winter now? And estimates are all over the place, but over five years, you know, we're talking about, gosh, a thousand extra deaths because of the homelessness crisis. A thousand human beings in the city of Seattle are are gonna are gonna die because of conditions exactly like they experienced in Chicago last week. I mean, the, the weather will pretty much never get that cold here. They they will not. But folks who do experience homelessness here, they may not be sleeping on ice, but they're dealing with uh, circumstances uh, that are uh, almost as terrible in many other ways. It gets pretty cold. It gets pretty cold here in Seattle. Uh, it rains. There's uh, constant and perpetual sweeps that disrupt their social circumstances. And while drugs are a big part of, and addiction generally are a big part of um, homelessness, in fact, that is not uh, really the only cause. And and it's a lot of folks that are just dealing with mental health issues who don't have the tools to simultaneously get themselves housed and fed and avoid danger. You know, if you actually go through the causes of deaths for homeless folks in the city, you'd be shocked at how many are suspicious accidents, log, the suicides, unsolved homicides. It's just a really terrible way to live. And I wonder what it's going to take for the city or the wealthy of the city or folks like me, the upper middle class of this city, to pull out our Amex and say, you know what, this is worth a few bucks. Yeah, we're overtaxed, but we're taxed because we want to live here. And it's a supply and demand issue, isn't there? Right? That's that's a that's a favorite of folks who don't like to uh, succumb to regulation or pay their taxes. You know, they talk about supply and demand. Well, supply and demand. A lot of folks want to live in Seattle, and there's there's not enough supply. And every time we try to build more. Or, or lift egregious inorganic restrictions on building, somebody sues the city. And then it gets cold and people die. Um, so I, I guess this is apropos of nothing except to say, here's hoping that one of these days, the city of Seattle uh, whips out its, its Amex and gets these folks some houses. Uh, my guest, Yemvi Pham, is a fabulous lady she and i go back a few years and you'll you'll hear all about that we uh we actually met on tinder that's right many years ago before i met michelle and had a fun had a fun date but it was kind of like a hey i just made a new friend and we've been friendly ever since and she's now one of the emerging restaurateurs in this city she's a young woman with a, a family tradition in the vietnamese cuisine space everybody knows pho bak which is like a landmark in the city, and they're renovating it now, her, her uh, Yemvi and her siblings. But also, they're, what I find most interesting about her is she's investing in her community. And you'll hear her talk a little bit about that, about the experience of being uh, for, uh, the children of refugees who maybe have some reservations about investing too deeply uh, in any environment, given the circumstances they faced, and how she's trying to take that mantle and actually invest in Little Saigon and make it a place with what she calls activation. It's keeping it alive and awake and keeping commerce flowing at night so that crime can be minimized. And the living experience and the walk score and the you know, the, the effects of gentrification and the effects of homelessness are all kind of mitigated by that. 
And we do disagree on something. She was talking a little bit about the rise in crime. There's actually no such thing as a rise in crime in Seattle. It's down year over year almost every year. But I think what Yemvi is experiencing is activating in her neighborhood. And there's a new vibrancy brought about by folks like the fam family that uh, she's part of and all of the other restaurateurs and, and market owners in that shop who've made a decision to improve the neighborhood. So, uh, yeah, they might be experiencing kind of a little what they perceive as a wave of crime because change does bring instability. And uh, I, I was really excited to hear her perspective, which is a little different, I think, than a lot of the other perspectives you're going to hear in the show. She's not a, a you know a housing activist. She's not a she's not a social justice activist, even though her story uh, begs the question as to uh, well, what is social justice if it's not uh, what she's arguing for? But she is in the trenches, making her community better. So I was excited to talk to her and. Uh, if you catch her on Tinder, definitely swipe right. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> so thank you for coming. No, thanks for having me. Why you reached out? I mean, I would say yeah, that we... Uh, yeah, so Yenvi, for, for the people listening, Yenvi brought... You brought me some bread. What is this? Yeah, it's just... Sweet bread from 85th Bakery. It's really good. <laughs> it's it, only $3. So, so I think we know who our next sponsor is going to be. Mm. I can't even stop eating it. No, his business model was very, like, affordable pastries. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he just put it into a freaking amazing formula and exploded yeah. into, like, 100 satellite locations all around the world. Oh, oh do they have a lot of locations? <laughs> mm-hmm. They okay. have a lot. They have a huge, um, I think, Taiwanese franchise. Mm-hmm. I could be totally wrong. Could we just Chinese? Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah. But it's, it's great having you on, especially because I think the last time we hung out was a very unsuccessful first. <laughs> I think. I think. Let's just get it out there. You even had your friend show up, and I don't even know. I think that was like a got, girls can't be too. But you know, obviously, time has been good. I I actually met someone. So Yembi Fam, everyone, and I did not meet her because she's a famous restaurateur. <laughs> although that is the the truth. I met her because we went on a Tinder date like three years ago. I like know, right? Ago. That was so funny. No, I really liked you. You're oh. really interesting. Okay, well, yeah. that's, that's at least my no, ego is somewhat. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, we stayed friends though. We like we. No, keep definitely. Touches, you know, yeah. I just didn't feel any sexual chemistry. I'm like, nah, yeah. that's not working, yo. I, but- <laughs> I totally. It was. was, I'm glad we could just get this out on the table. I've never wanted to have sex with someone less. No, no, I'm just kidding. kidding. Thank you. I feel so attractive. Thank you. No, and it's great because you know if Tinder, if I could stay friends with everyone I went on Tinder date. Well, I'd have a lot of friends, but yeah, Yeah, you do a lot of friends. You do or you don't. I said I would have a lot of friends oh. if, I, if I, I'd have like too many friends. I think. Anyway, enough of that. But no, it's been great to to watch you just kind of take something that's in your family business and just like mm-hmm. really put it out there. And it has not just impacts on the your on the fa in, in yeah, but also just like the neighborhood of Little Saigon. I mean, what what yeah. it kind of got you involved in that part of it, like the neighborhood, making sure that the changes. Uh, I'll put it this way: you don't mm-hmm. seem to. Fight. You don't seem to want to fight the changes, but you seem to want to make sure that everyone in Little Saigon is included in the growth. Yeah, I think that's, I don't know, sometimes I didn't think I was a very political person. Mm -hmm. I still don't. 
<laughs> you know, I just do what I like to do and like I like to help people and like I really like to create culture, mm-hmm. a sense of identity because mm-hmm. it was so uh, such a big part of me was my cultural identity. And getting into all this little Saigon stuff was kind of really random. Actually, it was the owner of Tamman Tree yeah. that got me involved um, on Thumb. And then like, we were at a secure, like, like public safety meeting, and it's always the same thing. He's very theatrical. <laughs> <laughs> and like, he drew me in, and um, I just started going to Friends of Little Saigon board meetings, which right. is, um, I'm on the board of that organization. What is Friends of Little Saigon? Uh, Friends of Little Saigon is basically what was created about 10 years ago by Anthem and a bunch of small business owners in Little Saigon. They wanted more of a voice, basically, for the neighborhood, for the needs in the neighborhood, and to kind of infiltrate politics mm-hmm. and just to make sure the, change wasn't just being done to them. Yeah, exactly. But so with with them included, mm-hmm. and that was like having yeah. a seat at the table with all the decision makers. Yeah, and um, saying that you know we, as the neighborhood, we're organized enough to like care in a sense. Yeah, uh, but even then, it's like it's really hard culturally. Um, not just culturally, but everything, like politically, culturally, and you know, even the people in that neighborhood, because it's so, it's a very transient neighborhood. It's very mm-hmm. just business oriented. There's no residents there, mm-hmm. you know. That's changing a little. It is changing. It's like, yes, so Terrace coming in. and Yes, and then we have a bunch of new developments uh, pop it into that three three block corridor, basically. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're very, we're very involved with all developers and like helping them mold like a, a certain aesthetic or what type of like commercial real estates. Mm-hmm. We're more like, Focus on the commercial real estate side because that's just to preserve culture, like mm-hmm. business services, right? I'm trying to maintain that identity within that neighborhood too. And so, yeah, I don't even know where to start. Well, just, you talk yeah. about identity, right? So, yeah. it, it, so let's start. How'd you grow up? You grew up here. Oh, yeah, I grew up here. Your whole life, right? Yeah, I was born in Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and there's five of you, right? Five kids. I did five. Five, four siblings you have? Yeah, four siblings. I'm the youngest. Yeah. yeah. That is not a surprise. Really? No, you're mm-hmm. totally the baby. Yeah, really? No. You remind me, my sister has the same big personality. Oh, yeah, maybe because we're always the youngest. Like, yeah. listen to me! Listen to me! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I grew up in our Vietnamese Catholic church. My parents were really involved. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like a block away from Little Saigon. And so, like, I've you, always been You know Joe jo Nguyen? Joe Wynn, um, the guy who just, he, well, the yeah. state, state, state legislator. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's the first Vietnamese uh, yes. legislator. Yeah. That's exciting, I bet. I, I endorsed him. I can't <laughs> <remember>. <laughs> well, that guy. Uh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So he was saying how his, the church is a really important part of his parents' yeah. life, too. Yeah, we grew up very similarly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so, but um, it's the same idea. And then once the Vietnamese Catholic Church moved, the population kind of moved with it. Yeah, to Burien, right? To Tequila. Qu- Tequila, oh, Yeah, we went to Tequila. It's a big, like, warehouse mm-hmm. monstrosity of a maze. It's, it's really ugly, but the, it the church. The, yeah, the church. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you meant Tequila, because you can say that about Tequila, too. It's a big, oh. ugly maze, too. The Tequila is very, like, business Friendly, mm-hmm. you know, they have a totally different. They want to, I think they want to change to like destination area, which is mm-hmm. very interesting. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I'm not talking about Tequila. Uh, but yeah, it's Seattle, and so like yeah, I always grew up here. Like, and your parents Seattle. were immigrants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they came in the eighties. Did they bring all the crime and drugs that Trump's been talking oh, yes, about? Or? All the crime and drugs. Yeah, no, no actually, they, <laughs> they brought a bunch of delicious pho. Is what they brought. <laughs> you know, yeah, they didn't even know how to make pho until they got here. Get out of here. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. What do I mean? Did they talk to what? inspired them to do that then oh God, it, was, it actually just came out really naturally i guess um they saw that the the boat that location uh for sale and then like was, they it, was it a boat then no it was it was just like a little it used to be ice cream shop and insurance shop oh okay like a little like yeah the fun the original fun the, yeah. the original fun it was like 600 square feet of, of building space and then at that moment my mom was looking at sub shops some of the sub shops like 48 59 
Remember the sub shops around like suburbia? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like she was working in one of those, like that sold like roast beef sandwiches and turkey sandwiches yeah. and yeah. things like that. And my dad worked at like another French bakery. And then after six months, they like, they saw that, like, you know, they want to open their own place because they always had their own businesses in Vietnam, mm-hmm. like to like, you know, fabrics, to coffee, to whatever. <laughs> so um, they saw that this is open something. And so they pulled money from all their friends. The city was very helpful. Because my dad is speaking English and then getting all the permits and like doing all these things. Actually, the city, the city of Seattle was really leaning on them and let them like get away with everything. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like seriously, they literally had three compartments sitting outside of the shop. Like it was crazy. Uh-huh. Um, but they just wanted, like they're very enthusiastic and uh-huh. wanted them to succeed. So I feel like our family has always had a really good relationship with the city in that sense. And then, you know, they, they were always really appreciative of all the help. But then they opened, right? And then it was Sarah's shop forever. Just like roast beef, falafel, sprouts. All the stuff that... All the yeah. stuff you Americans eat because it's a blue-collar neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. A really run-down neighborhood. And then, like, um, on the weekends, my mom made pho because, like, the clients will shop at, like, uh, Viet Hoa or mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. surrounding, the old welcome market. So it was just to serve... It was it was not that they were experts, but they no. were trying to serve the people that were there. Yeah, That's basically. Yeah. They are just trying to, like, you know, what, what's the seller? They know sandwiches. Like, hey, let's just sell sandwiches. So it was called Cat Submarine. And they sold like close sandwiches. And then, oh, because um, your mom's cat. Yeah, my yeah. mom's cat. <laughs> and then on the weekends, her friends were like, you need to make some Vietnamese food. And mm-hmm. my mom used to throw like lavish parties at the house mm-hmm. for the community. And they're like, you should make your pho. Your pho is really good. She's like, okay. She just does it because she likes it. And she started doing it on the weekends. And then next thing you know, people don't want sandwiches anymore. They just want pho. So mm-hmm. after a few months, they renamed it to pho back, mm-hmm. which means like pho the north. My, both my parents are from northern provinces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's how it happened. That's great. So yeah, Bach is north. I never knew that. North, yeah. Yeah. Very original. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. So original. So they came over. They, I mean, were they? Did they come over because of the war? Yeah, they yeah. Uh, they escaped by boat. Mm-hmm. So oh, same scenario as a lot of folks. A lot, yeah. like they were really lucky. Like, yeah. So they came over like their twenties. No, they were in their thirties already. Oh wow! Yeah. So they had, and what? Help me understand. Like, what? Why did they have to leave? Was it just the war? Like, were they a certain type of political uh, uh, oppression, or did they just like it was just really bad and they had to go? It was really bad. It was just was bad. Okay. It was just like lifestyle and the inconsistency. And also, my dad, you know, he was anti-communist, mm-hmm. so he <laughs> he was also Catholic. So yeah. we were we were the ones being persecuted too. Right. And the communists were not friendly to religious. No, not religious. Groups. Not yeah. the Chinese. Yeah. The Chinese are first to go. The yeah. Chinese and Vietnamese. But yeah, so they just needed to get out. So it was like four different attempts to get out. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. the last attempt they got out. But it was like, it's crazy. It was a crazy story. But yeah. yeah, it's just a pretty, pretty typical refugee story. But definitely refugees. They came over here. And I'm assuming that means some of your older siblings were already born. Yeah, two. My two oldest were on the boat. Were born in the boat? No, no, not born. They we came born on the boat. Okay. My second one was was born in jail. Wow. And that is, that is, Quinn is my sister, my mom's favorite, because she's always like, oh, you got me out of jail. So <laughs> 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 oh, that's really funny. I know. Really funny. Did they stop over in Japan first? I know a lot of... Uh, uh, they were in Thailand. They, they, the boat launched in Thailand. Okay. And then they went to the Philippines for two years. In the Philippines, they flew to the United States. Got it. Yeah. And they came here. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And so you've been here. And then you've been, I know you were kind of like, and you've told me this before, like your parents were like, go see the world, like travel the world. Oh, but yeah. then you came back and you're like, all right, I'm going to run the restaurant now. No, yeah. Basically, they always open it. They always like any opportunity to like find a new place to open, they'll do it. But uh-huh. it's like more like the novelty of having it, but not wanting to like sustain it. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're great big pictures. The small details is very hard. That's, it. That's like, what they have kids for, right? <laughs> yeah, 
No, I'm all, I'll show you. Apple does not fall far from the tree. Oh, you're, you're a big picture guy too. <laughs> okay, okay, got it. Details, details. Yeah. Okay, no. Who does the details? I do, yeah. I do you do the details. details. You have okay. to learn how to do details. Right. <laughs> if you want it to succeed. Yeah. And one of the things I noticed is, um, and I do want to get back to like some of the neighborhood stuff, but yes. your, your newer restaurants that are, I think they're a little more like the kids. No, yeah. Right? Yeah, the and, minor location. And it creates like, there's like a nightlife component to it, which is yeah. important, right? Because there's not a lot of places, you know, you want the places to actually be open. That Activated. creates a safe environment. And activation a, creates safe environment. Yeah. What does that mean, uh, activation? Activation means like, there's people that want to be there. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, Lil's like, God, it's so scary after seven. <laughs> yeah. You know, we have the massage parlors, like, trying to get the landlords to care about their property and mm-hmm. people they they bring in. It's really hard. It's like, it's a total cultural difference. It's dealing with, like, first generations mm-hmm. and then, then passing on to their children or holding on to for their livelihood, you know, or, or, and they never really, I don't think they, as refugees or immigrants, like, they never really had to care in that capacity about mm-hmm. their property. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. maybe because within the last two or three generations, since like what the nineteen forties, they've always been war, right? Yeah, <laughs> they're yeah. always escaping. Like my parents, they escaped two wars. The first one was uh, when uh, the French left in the forties. Right, the Dien Bien Phu. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. And then yeah. they left. They you know they immigrated down to the south. That was the yeah. first. And then like they stayed in the south, and then the Vietnam War broke out. And right. so it's kind of like it's like you open businesses for livelihood to 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 survive you know because it's something that you know how to do but it's not like but to care about it to invest to it's, invest it's difficult. in it is is it's not a it's not something that is practiced like on the mainstream kind mm-hmm. of like, within the community within the community yeah and uh, i can see why and like maybe in ki- the kids don't want to like hold on to it anymore like or is that the transition i'm always transitioning like like the old ways and try to adapt it to new modernizing ways of yeah. doing things and so but there's a there's a break room do you know what break rooms are like puzzle break and stuff oh like, it's right upstairs okay. and so every now and again <laughs> yeah, it like goes it. through the walls like everybody gets out of the room <laughs> i kind of like that the listeners are well are always <laughs> amazed at some of the uh, noises that we have here but, anyway, no, yeah, it makes a lot of sense just yeah. like i mean if you're a constant if you don't get to have a home really mm-hmm. for many generate two three generations yeah. then the idea of like making one and so well that's what you're trying to do right is build a little, uh, a yeah, little we're just generational wealth you know a little generational wealth and just but it's also really hard because the adaptation of like that entrepreneurial spirit is very Vietnamese right mm-hmm. but it's also like how do you adapt it to like a Vietnamese American because I I'm Vietnamese, mm-hmm. but I'm Vietnamese American more than Vietnamese. Like, if a Vietnamese person like saw me, they don't associate me with being from Vietnam mm-hmm. or Vietnamese in that sense. And I don't look like it. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just like, okay, so how do we create our own identity without like completely like insulting our like our parents? <laughs> well, it seems like you've done that with the new place. You've really found this like kind of I'm fun balance. Yeah, so we're trying to do that with like everyone that wants to come in, all the new developers, like even trying to. Just work with each other, like mm-hmm. no competition, really. Um, oh, in, between, among the, the among, proprietors. Among the proprietors, especially with like the markets, because I think they have the the biggest stakeholders. It's like really just finding a way to be able to work each other and like help each other mm-hmm. be better, do better, and not like see them as like we can't work together, we can't, mm-hmm. you know, like it's not going to work because this kind of competition. But it doesn't. It really this generation is not like that at all. It's mm-hmm. more like you know, I want you to succeed. Like, how can we, how can we be mutually beneficial? That's kind of like the path we're trying to take. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what is, what is the kind of agenda that you have guys coming up in 2019? What, what are you interested in trying to get done in Middle Saigon? 2019, I think our, 
the one thing I'm really excited about is creating our own creative office space. Mm-hmm. So that's going to happen. We got a, a huge grant to um, create an actual space for us to for friends gather. Little Saigon. For friends in Little Saigon, we're um, creating an office space together, event space, kind of, oh, kind of like a WeWork, but mm-hmm. for Vietnamese Americans, kind of, but to, to, to get that involved, get them involved and get them in the area. And like, like, cause we don't like, you know, there's all these different events, like, like writers to poets to film mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. all these different creatives that they don't have a, a central hub. And like, we really want to create that first. So That's like, fantastic. yeah, so this is like actually one phase of, of like a five, 10 year plan of like creating a culture center or creating different cultural aspects within the neighborhood. And we work really close with like the city and Estad and whoever we can and our partners to uh, create that. Mm-hmm. So we have like equity funds, like, you know, like little Af- like Africa town, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That same, like, that same model into Poppin Jackson basically. That's great. Yeah. That's, congratulations. When, when does that start? When do you open? God, I think, I think hopefully by the end of, this year, but within this year, it should open and should be kind of up and running. We'll see. It's kind of our first big project, like yeah. a, a concrete physical space. And like, because um, the organization is so new, mm-hmm. we finally like have like money. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, okay, we're going to do this money, making sure we spend it wisely. Right, of course. And then like, of course, like, I usually do a festival, but this mm-hmm. year we're focused on the office and like the different models of festivals and trying to raise money that way. I just try to have this culture identity within whatever we're going to do. So, yeah, but it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're really digging in. Yeah. You guys got any new restaurants opening or? Oh, well, the boat right now is just, we've been using it for pop-ups. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's been really fun. But actually what happened was we renovated it. I looked inside. I'm like completely uninspired by the space. Oh my God, this space. It's just, I don't like it. And so we're actually going to re-gut it. You're going to redo it. Uh-huh. I'm going to redo it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to get it right. You have to be happy in that Yeah. Place. So I'm not, not happy with it. And so that's going to be a while. But we're gonna regret it, and then so it'll be. You'll see. You'll see when it opens. See what okay. happens. Not sure yet. About a I'm date. never sure. Everything's okay. like I'm never sure about <laughs> no. anything. No. It just happens. I'm like I don't that's, know. That's like, that's like um, being an adult. It's like yeah. you have to come to grips with the fact that like you don't know anything no. <laughs> about anything. So I feel that way all the time. Yeah. I'm always making errors. Yeah. I just do it. Like I can't think about it too much. I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna do it. Oh, I really fucked up. Oh, it's okay. I'll just try it again. Yeah. It's it's more about perseverance. (laughs) That's right. Grit, right? It is And And you learn, I mean, not to be kind of cliche about it, but you've got parents that were... Oh, they're gritty. Like refugees, right? (laughs) So, like, if we can't can't have some of that grit, what are we doing, right? Yeah. As our generation. No, definitely. The grit is the most important thing ever, I think. Because, yeah, people are assholes. Human beings are assholes. Like, even, like, the political sphere of Seattle. Yeah. Like, how can, how righteous can you really be sometimes? Like, you know, the, the progressive left against like the right wing white, like the super conservative, but like, where's that middle ground? Right. Yeah. And the Seattle Council, even the Seattle Council, I'm like, you know, they have to be able to talk to each other. You know, right. are they? Right. No. <laughs> because like the reasons are so different. And then like, it's like, what's that line between, like, for me, like, I'm fed up, like, with, um, the drug use and the violence in my neighborhood mm-hmm. it's getting worse is like it? the other day I was doing service and this one drunk guy oh my god it was crazy this one drunk guy it was packed house he kept coming in and like kind of harassing people mm-hmm. and it had this group it was so cute like these group of 30 girls 
for do like pre dinner for their winter ball, and they're all in like kind of skimpy clothing. Yeah. They're like he was kind of sexually verbally assaulting them. Yeah, I got mad. I'm like, you need to get out, right? And yeah. then he was wrestling me. And then I had to throw him over my shoulder. And I threw him out my door. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets started. He started coming back more and more and more. And I called the police. And then the thing is, it's like it was a non-emergency kind of because they're so backed. They mm-hmm. couldn't like they couldn't um. Like come right away, but I'm like, dude, man, I'm gonna try and get this guy out of my door like seven times. So that's right. two hours, right. and you know he's a little, he's violent, and then he's saying, like, even when I'm calling the cops, he's like, call the cops, like they they can't do anything to me anyways. Yeah. That's the mentality in mm-hmm. my neighborhood, or just maybe in Seattle, but it's like Breaking Bad out there, yo. Like a lack of of just of, community. of accountability, yeah. lack of yeah. lack of community, lack of accountability, lack mm. of co- almost consequences. You know, it's like when you spoil a baby too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I'm all about compassion, like you know, like. You want it, but you don't want to spoil it, in mm-hmm. a sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like... So what is it about the council that would... I, you're just saying, like, you're sort of fed up. What what are they considering, or what would you want to see changed? I think it's good that we want to be... We're a person city that we're compassionate, you know? But I think the shifting of priorities, like, for me, I think mental health mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. rehab and mm-hmm. accountability. Like, if, if I could have my way, or anyway, I'd be, you know, if you get arrested for a misdemeanor. Like, most likely they just get released because, you know, there's no capacity. And, you know, this, there's no the, systematic... There's no systematic way of doing anything. And also the, the policemen, like, the police there, they're, they're the scapegoats. They're stuck in the middle in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. But um, it would be like, well, if you don't want to go to rehab or you want to go to mental health care, you're going to have to go to jail, you know? There's no, there's no urgency, you know? Mm-hmm. They just get released into, mm-hmm. and get lost in the void. Right. right. And so, I don't know. Yeah, one of the things we hear about is there's not really very good services, you know, so the only options usually are jail, which seems excessive for, yeah. for or nothing. Or nothing, yeah. Right, and so there's no middle ground of like, hey, no. let's get these folks into, you know, if they're if they're homeless, like, actually a lot of crime emerges from being homeless, and if you just get someone a place to stay, they... Yeah. A lot of the crime goes down, right? And there's no way to kind of do that. For no, people. there isn't a way. Unless, because the thing is, Seattle can't absorb this population. Like, we had to have the other cities and other counties mm-hmm. help us absorb this. But mm-hmm. it's it's very hard. People don't want them. Yeah. You know, that's the reality. Yeah. And no, and so it's okay. But, like, also it's more like, mm. it's it's so hard because, you know, like, crime is up, like, rampant. Like, I've been broken into so many times. Like, really? things get stolen all the time for me. Yeah. And, like, I'm, like, desensitized to it. I'm, like, okay, this is it's just my my norm. But at the same time, it's, like, it's unnecessary, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, why don't people care? Yeah. You know? And then, like, we're in this weird limbo, yeah. right? And you want to be, like, helpful, proactive. But people, as humans, I feel like we, without discipline or without, like, consequences... We're not gonna do shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. that's just the way it is. You know, mm. like we can't be spoiled either. You right. can't like spoiling a child. You know, so where is that middle ground? Well, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, yeah that's the way I see it. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. And I love that you got that you're at the very least you're you're jumping in right with the neighborhood. You really are yeah. making like waves. To. Yeah, it'd be great to have all of Jackson bars. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's just yeah, it's just something that you know because you want something like meaningful in your neighborhood mm-hmm. like where you live like this is my city you know mm-hmm. like I've put, I've put my roots here everything's here and so like you know I want I want that that culture I want that like you know how in Europe you have all that culture all that art all mm-hmm. that characteristics you know and then like I want to bring that identity the Vim's identity like here yeah. and maintain it yeah and uh, in our own way because we're also like I'm very very American too 
So, yeah. Well, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, we like to end every interview yes. with a segment that goes, if you care about, uh-huh. you should. So fill in the blanks. Okay. If you care about Seattle not being so homogenous, <laughs> please visit friendsoflosaigon.org and learn about our organization and see what you could do to help. Awesome. Yumby yeah. Fam. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. That was Yumby Fam. Check out Fabak, Fabak Soup Shop if you want to head out at nighttime. You won't regret it. UpZones is sponsored by Happy High Achiever. You know the drill. Check out happyhighachiever.com backslash UpZones for a friend of the pod discount. Activate your career, bro. Dope opening poetry sample by Anthony McPherson. Music by the Subcons. Sound by Naboo and me. This has been a Cascadia Underground production. My favorite. And I am your host, Ian Martinez. Talk next week.